Hello and welcome everybody to NPR. This is All Trek Considered. <laughs> We're going to speak in low, dulcet tones and murmur to each other about high philosophy. No, we're going to say shit and fuck a lot in this podcast. That's how we roll here, so... And we're probably going to insult something you love. Because this is V'ger Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. How you doing this week, Peter? Good. Is it a hateful voyage or a hateful trek? It's a hateful voyage. You know, this is Voyager-focused. we gotta got to keep it on branding here, my friend. We've got to... Yeah. I mean, there's no wrong way to go. We've, we've really positioned ourselves well to just use any sort of traveling. <laughs> well, we haven't already even been that hateful. Sir, we've were been... you driving? No, I was trekking. <laughs> oh, so, so, sovereign trekkie. You're, yeah. a sov- you're a sovereign trekkie. Yeah, okay. uh, a warm hello like to it. any of our sovereign citizens out there in the audience today. <laughs> I mean, we haven't even really been that hateful. I mean... Off and on, like we, you know, we we talked about space ghost Chicote. We uh, we stayed pretty positive on the episode until the last, you know, eight minutes. Basically, soiled itself in diarrhea. But the rest of it, we were we were liking it. It's good. Well, space Chicote, uh, space ghost astral projection Chicote. That was two episodes ago. Now that we're building up this buffer underneath us again. Um, oh yeah, yeah. I keep forgetting, like. I'm, I'm thinking of the episode I just listened to, which is the one we just put out, but we've recorded one since then that I haven't edited yet. And and it's just discontinuity as people listen to this. They're like, why are they talking about something I listened to two weeks ago? That's the magic of the internet, my friend. Time travel. And we know how well how Voyager handles that. There's been a lot of time travel uh, both on Voyager and, and our own show. We're, uh, we're well-versed in the temporal mechanics. I want to uh, – I know we did this last week, but I just once again express my appreciation for the lovely theme song that Ian and Sarah created for us. You know, nothing quite like that perfectly sh- shitty recorder music on purpose that they had to try to make shitty for us to really make sure the listener knows what they're getting themselves into. Speaking of shitty recorder music, though, how are your musical efforts going? Not well. I uh... – <laughs> Believe it or not, it's hard to learn how to play the recorder poorly when you're changing diapers and uh, holding down that dad life. Uh, and, uh, you know, other things, <coughs> which are three, I've <coughs> uh, been eating up a lot of my time. But uh, it'll happen. And when it does, I don't think any of us will be any better for the wear. The, the point is to punish. To punish everyone that's been foolish enough to waste perhaps up to at this point like 13 or 14 hours listening to us talk about Star Trek. They need a reminder that they could be doing something better with their time. And nothing quite like you bleeding like a dying goat over a musical instrument intended for second graders. That's uh, really going to be delivering that message home at peak. Tell point. you what, when we finally cut that tape, I'll, uh, I'll make sure I'm wearing a Marvel's Punisher t-shirt and I really go. drive the point home. There we go. That's synergy. Speaking of driving the point home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the most subtle, uh, opaque episode of Star Trek ever. Uh, we have uh, now watched uh, season one uh, episode. What is it? 13? 14. 14. And season one, episode 14, Jatrell. Let's let's just start talking about it and let our feelings sort of unveil themselves as we go along. Keep the listener in some suspense. What Will do. I like it. All right. So we start with everyone's favorite dank sex den, 
courtesy of Tom Paris, uh, his 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 French fuck palace that he built out of uh, you know force fields and, and light particles, and they're playing pool, you know, a wholesome twenty fourth century adventure, and it's uh, Neelix versus Tuvok, which seems unfair to put anyone up against Tuvok in a game that requires geometry. They're going for it. You also have uh, reoccurring holodeck characters here, the tall, skeevy guy with the trilby. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, quote-unquote pool shark that, that speaks in nothing but 20th century vernacular, so he's obviously just an invention. But mm-hmm. the other people are supposed to be based off of real people that Tom Paris evidently effed when he was in France. Uh, but this guy is clearly from, like, central casting of basic cable TV circa 1993 when you need shady-looking mobster character. So you've got uh, Neelix squaring off uh, with Tuvok and Tuvok running his mouth and Neelix talking some shit too. This little cold open culminates here with Tuvok screwing up a a shot. Felt good. I enjoyed it. Uh, I was really expecting him to sink that ball in and, and rub people's face in it. And not only does he screw the shot but he proceeds to start making excuses and saying that the ship is wobbly and this and that which i deeply enjoyed watching him get his face rubbed in some poop who it's the holodeck character that says oh yeah i guess tom should have told you that the the table rolls a little to the east so it's like imperfectly programmed uh you know i I would presume to be true to life or or just add character to it or, or whatever. And Tom Paris just has this kind of shit-eating green on his face that he also enjoyed uh, Tuvok's uh, nose being in some poop. Do you notice that, and it's really Tuvok leading the charge here, that Vulcans always seem to verbalize their logic like anyone else in the room could possibly give a shit about what their inner dialogue is? Well, I mean, that's TV in general, though. You have to have people talk about their inner dialogue a lot, but for Vulcan characters, I imagine that's even more so the case because they can never show emotion. Mm. So the other actors, you know, you can you don't necessarily always have to have them explain what what they're thinking. You can have them show what they're feeling by facial expressions, but every Vulcan actor can't do that. So that means when you're writing these characters, they have to be saying what they're feeling or what they're doing is the only way you can know. Let me tell you the better way to do this. Mass Effect, the Elcor. Are you familiar with them? Oh, yes, of course I am. Tentative excitement. Welcome to Herod's Emporium, human. Relieved, I am grateful for Arya's return. Hidden back room was getting confining. Her patrol liberated me. Curious, you seem... With biting disdain. (laughs) (laughs) Tremendous sympathy. There, there. It's going to be okay. Elk are like these, uh, they look like, I don't know, elephant people essentially, and they don't really have faces. I don't know. They're just these real stoic aliens, and their voices can't show any sort of inflection. So when they're talking to humans, because humans can't perceive their, their body language... They preset, preface everything with their true, um, with their true emotion, uh, and I love them. I think they're my favorite uh, race to come out of that franchise, and probably one of the best new races in science fiction in the past. 
they they are awesome. Uh, it's a shame that they're kind of a bit player through most of the games, but they're always uh, a delight when you find them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the whole vocalization of emotions uh, is something Bioware stole from itself because that was HK47's whole uh, shtick in uh, Knights of the Old Republic. True that. So they 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 reapplied their. It's not really stealing because it was theirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they reapplied it in an imaginative way, and I agree with you. I love the Elcor. Anyway, uh, the, the so pools, two box support loser. Yes, two box support loser, and he's a shitty Elcor. And they get called to the bridge, and they get called to the bridge because someone is asking for Neelix. And uh, it's explained it's a uh, Harkonian shuttle. I'm sorry, not Harkonian. Uh, that would be from Dune. <laughs> I will have a Raptor's back for myself. He who controls the spice controls the universe. Yeah, that got me too when I was watching it. <laughs> How do you pronounce it? Hakonian? It's real close. Hakon. Hold on, let me see here. I kept wanting to say Harkonian every time I watched it. Just it's not of the- Harkonian. It's Hakonian. H a a k o n i a n. Well, the spice doesn't make these guys flow, but whatever they are, they did conquer Snarf Snarf's planet evidently when this this person that's this Hakonian comes on street on screen you know neelix is naturally questioning why he wants to talk to him by the way apparently the Hakonians, you know managed to conquer the the talaxians because of their massive old man face that seems to be their racial trait this is just real wrinkly it's got a lot of wrinkle ridges uh Another lazy alien design, although not as like atrocious as some of the things we've seen. Not, uh, not a lot of imagination. I, I'm not going to throw too much shit at these guys. The, it's not the worst Star Trek alien I've ever seen, and it's certainly not even half as bad as most of the stuff Voyager. I'd have to say this is probably top. I don't know what top ten percent of the races we've seen out of uh, the Delta Quadrant so far. The makeup on these guys. It's it's really generic, though. Like this is generic alien face for Star Trek. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to go with you on the old man face. I think this dude looks like the makeup looks like if Freddy Krueger spent a couple months at a spa and really got patched up and healed up. But there was still some heavy scar tissue on his face. You do that and you put some. I, I will say that when he finally uh, beams over, this guy's got the best alien clothing that I think we've seen on the show yet. Yeah, I agree. He does have really, I mean, it's not, I don't know what it's, it seems appropriate. It, like this, this seems like to be normal alien clothes. It doesn't look ridiculous. It's not like open shirts, you know, space molesters like the Skeevians or, or, uh, you know, patchwork uh nightmare you know candy corn shit or anything like that it's just yeah, it it's like better. a vaguely militant researcher yeah. and and that's what it's supposed to be so the ship rolls up on voyager and you got this uh hakonan asking to speak with neelix you know says well who are you and this guy says well my name's jatrell and then neelix promptly flips his shit he looks like he looks like he's so triggered he's about to post something to his Tumblr blog. I mean, he looks he looks shook. Yeah, and it isn't. And, and I mean, right after the credits 
they they move right to an explanation of who Jatrell is and why Neelix does not like him. And this is where the episode gets its baseball bat out that is going to beat your ass with for the next 40 minutes. So just in case somehow you watched this episode of Star Trek and didn't pick up on it, this is all about the use of atomic weapons in World War II. This is a, episode is an allegory for the idea of what if J. Robert, Robert Oppenheimer met some Japanese person that got blown up by atomic bombs in Nagasaki. That's it. Everything they do in this episode is to establish that parallel. Everything. And the explanation of what the weapon is and what it does, how many, even how many people it killed, is all meant to establish that parallel. And they do not stop with it for the whole episode. Yeah. Uh, you just summed up the episode uh, in exactly the light that it should have had. So setting that to the side for a moment, again, Neelix is on this ship, Kess is on this ship with the intention that they are, uh, you know, field guides to the Delta Quadrant. Janeway continues to be astounded episode after episode at the tidbits of information that Neelix is rolling out there. At what point, when you've got this guy who is your like your tour guide, you sit him down and say, "All right, tell me everything." And I get that Neelix isn't going to be able to cover all of the bases, but certainly you would think at some point he'd be like, "Oh yeah, then there's this one race called the Hakonin that got in a huge war with my race and uh, enslaved. I don't know if enslaved, but you know, conquered my fucking home world." And uh, here's some other stuff. Yet all you know, brand new stuff that Janeway had never heard before. Neelix is very disposable, not disposable. Neelix is a, a big liability, right? You know, yeah. he's running off. He's getting his lungs stolen. What other other planes a lot. He tries to bail out whenever they're going to do something dangerous. He's yeah. wandering yeah. off on, on away missions. Like you know, he shows value. Like they try and like, you know, the whole oh, helping you scavenge for food you can eat type of stuff and where there are people you can trade with and that sort of thing. Like, they try and do a little bit of that and establish that, but you're right. Like, at what point is Janeway going to – hasn't set this guy down and be like, all right, you need to fucking tell me everything that you know because I want to stop running into some shit that I don't know about until, you know, five minutes after it's too late. Especially with her perching for shooting from the hip. But what I'm saying though is, you know, Neelix stands a pretty good chance of dying every episode. And if he dies, all that information's gone and, you know, maybe it'd be nice to have that continuity if your, your tour guide – gets his brain stolen or whatever is going to happen the next time they run a follow the Vidians, like bleed this dude for the information. So you got it up front. Um, but yeah, so his, uh, Talaxian homeworld got conquered by these Hakonans. They're not on good terms. And basically he'll go on to say that, uh, the homeworld surrendered unconditionally after a, uh, utopia colony of theirs, was super nuked and all of his family who lived on that colony died uh, either in an instant or a slow radiation filled death. I will give all credit to Ethan Phillips in this episode. He has a couple good scenes where he's puts on his serious acting face. So I am critical of the relentless nature of the real world parallel and how much they just keep going back to that. Well, but 
A, the uh, the actor they have playing Jatrell, who's actually an old uh, guest actor hand on TNG. You might remember him as that admiral that uh, defected. Uh, Jarak in, in TNG. He also played uh, basically Odo's uh, science dad uh, in DS9. Um, so he's he's been in Star Trek a few times. And he also played uh, Alexander Rojanko in a weird time travel episode where somehow he came back to talk to Worf about something. This guy's name is James Sloyan. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's fucking awesome. I very vividly remember the the Jarek episode. So real quick, jumping back, this was um, season three episode off Next Gen. What the hell was it called? It was something... The Defector. I think that's what it was called. The Defector. He flies out in that sweet looking scout ship. The Romulans are hot on his ass. He comes in saying that he's like a nobody engineer and that he has uh, information that there is a a secret base that's being built in the neutral zone and that the Romulans are going to stage a hostile invasion into Federation space. And then he tips his hand and shows that he's uh, really a Romulan admiral and he's all about trying to keep this peace. I like this guy. He kicked ass in uh, that Next Gen episode. I never caught him as the Deep Space Nine scientist, uh, but that was a reoccurring character in DS9, I, I believe. And despite whatever else we're going to say about this episode, this guy uh, this guy hits a home run, I think, for his portrayal of the character and, and his participation in the scenes for this Voyager episode. I completely agree. I mean, I'm going to kind of uh, lightly go through some of I'm not, I don't feel like we would do a disservice to go blow by blow through some of these scenes but uh, he's amazing and Ethan Phillips does a, a good job in the scenes that he's in with him I, it's one of those situations where you know like if you're playing around people how Patrick Stewart used to really lift the performances of everyone around him on TNG when you're when you're playing against someone who's good you get better and so there's a real strength in in those scenes, but it's not the acting that I have a problem with in this episode. As we go through, we find out about, you know, Neelix has a lot of PTSD because he went to the colony after it got super nuked. And the reason why this, this, this guy who invented the super nuke is here uh, is because as a consequence of being part of the, the, the sort of the rescue team slash uh, emergency party, uh, that uh, Snarf Snarf was exposed to, you know, space radiation and has blood cancer, essentially. Yeah. And and Jachel is trying to cure that blood cancer. I think the strongest part of the episode comes in kind of the personal problem Neelix has with even helping him with that because of how deeply he's been affected by, obviously, the murder of his entire family of so many of the people that, you know, hundreds of thousands of his people, as well as the uh, the decay of the, the survivors and, and the state that they were in when they found them. He, to Just to the massive credit of the actor, the scene where he has this standoff with Jatrell in sickbay and is talking about what that was like is deeply powerful. And that stuff is good. The problem is, is that's not the whole episode. Yeah, the majority of the hesitation on Neelix's behalf comes out while he's in the mess hall. And you've got Kess and Janeway double teaming him, you know, just trying to convince him to participate in this research study that Chitrell. Chitrell's like, look, I need to screen you and see if you have blood cancer. And uh, if you do, 
you know, the the information I can glean off of you is going to help efforts to, you know, clean this stuff up. This scene established two things, three things. One, Neelix doesn't wear gloves when he's preparing food for the crew. <laughs> Which if he has, you know, like space blood cancer, you know. Might be that's an issue. Even, that's a problem. Two, Neelix is actively licking his hands while he's preparing food for the crew. Right in front of the captain, too. Like, the dude's, like, straight up licking his hands and then going back in there. I'd be like, listen, you filthy space cat. Knock it the fuck <laughs> Also, did you notice that Janeway just has no personal space? Oh, my God. That Shit. is my next one. He has both boobs super glued onto Neelix's elbow while she's talking. Like, she's, like, right up. Like, it looks like she's trying to start a fight. Like, I can't. <laughs> being right on top of him but they pin him and she is like full flush trying to like vicissitude herself into uh neelix it is ridiculous they got the whole mess hall to run this scene and like they film it in the smallest corner possible they really box kess and and janeway in right up next to him and it's it's bizarre because it seems so unnatural like why would you talk this close to him like what do you, he's, I, I understand that the, the, I mean, I guess it's worth pointing out at this point that most of the core crew, you, you don't, you don't, you barely see them in this episode. There's zero Harry Kim. There's minimal Paris. There's one scene with Torres. Uh, there's a little bit of doctor, a tiny bit of doctor. There's a even smaller amount of Chakotay is, this is really Janeway, Kess, Neelix and Jatrell. That's, those are the characters you see in this episode. And I get that. Janeway and Kess, a, a because you know they they have different kind of levels of affection for Neelix. One is, you know, a a lover, a child bride, if you will, and the other is, you know, the captain as well as the sort of, you know, awkward mother figure of the uh, of the of the ship, and they are concerned about his well being, and so they are attempting to convince him to do this from those perspectives. I get that's supposed to be the dynamic. It just comes off as very weird. Especially when you shoot him like that. Yeah. So anyways, my third thing that you learned from this scene was in fact that Janeway is a close talker. It's just, it's ridiculous. They, they have the good scene where uh, they have this kind of face off in the, the briefing room. It's real dark, darkly lit. <laughs> you know, it's like all the lights are turned down for this. It looks like an episode of, like crossfire like old school crossfire well all the botched attempts to try and get more energy which of course always result in losing even more energy uh has probably caused them to start rationing uh, how many lights can be on per room at this point and that's where jutrell starts to take the very like specifically 20th century oppenheimer position about what has happened um, straight up using some of the same arguments that were made by the people, you know, that created the atomic bomb in regards well, to its... According to the show notes, he even uses a few, like, actual direct quotes from him. Before he, we we jump into Jatrell and his, his version of things, Neelix has laid on the table that his species has been conquered by this presumably aggressive race they never really say what they were fighting over yeah they never mentioned the war later on um neelix will say that 
he had objections to the war and that he didn't think it was a just war. So I don't know, maybe the Talaxians. That's where the episode really falls apart. When we get there, I will explain my 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 in searing hot take of hatred. But anyways, you've got the Federation, which is a technologically advanced civilization. They have very clearly condemned use of uh, weapons of mass destruction. They have sympathy for Neelix. You know, really, the deck should be stacked against the uh, Hakonan and Jatrell in specific, yet you don't really get any, I don't know, any protective sympathy. Like, you get sympathy, but... But there's not really any anger or defensiveness out of Voyager uh, and the crew about, you know what, maybe we don't want this this crazed, mad scientist walking around our, <laughs> they give our no treasure push. box. No pushback. None. They're just like, hey, let this guy come on over. You know, <laughs> he can't be that bad. Yeah. Right? I think you were about to say our treasure box of technology. Was that, was that about to be your quote? I would Pandora's box. And in fact, when... You know, they do finally con Neelix into agreeing to it and they bring uh, Jatrell over. There's a a red herring that I bit onto and it kind of pans out a little bit towards the end. But like some of the first words out of uh, Jatrell's mouth to uh, Janeway is, you know, I've heard all about your transporter and it's even more amazing than what I possibly could have imagined. Like right there's like red flags like. Is this guy just here scouting our tech? Is he going to pull, you know, the same shit we just did to the Skeevians and, and try to, like, reverse engineer our shit? Or, you know, is this the build up to some sort of advanced scouting and and the Harkonnen are going to try and come and, and either take the ship or, or boost technology off of us? I never got the feeling that this story seems so focused that, I mean, there's no B plot. It's just another uh, episode where it's solely focused on the A plot, which is, I think, to its benefit that they were going to go quite that route. Um, they do uh, quickly kind of pay off some of that transporter interest, though. So they do finally scan uh, Snarf Snarf for blood cancer, and he's got it, uh, according to Jatrell. He has a reflective conversation with Kess that was super awkward about how he's like relieved that he's going to die before her now. It was so strange. I like that scene. You did? I, I was so weird to me. Well, there's one good thing that will come from all this. When I first met you, I didn't know that your species only lived eight or nine years. I fell in love with you without knowing how lonely it would be to live without you after you're gone. Now that I'm going to die first, I don't have to worry about it. Like, really? This is what you're going to harp on? Like, oh, I was so sad I was going to die before you, but now I'm going to die I'm die after you. Now I'm going to die before you, so it's okay now. Well, two things. One, that, you know, Neelix is in love with Kess, and I would say that would certainly weigh heavy if you <laughs> you pledge yourself to someone and find out, oh, yeah, I'm going to die in two years. So if you're gonna, someone like Neelix, who's a high morale kind of guy, uh, you're going to try and find the silver lining there. And that's a good way to kind of lay her at ease. And the other option is that he could become all consumed by dread that he is going to die a painful blood cancer death. And then we could have a repeat of uh, him moping around sick bay like he did in the episode where he got in phage. And we get another shitty patient Neelix episode, which I certainly did not want. <laughs> 
So I'll take the I'll take the hand wave. Everything's cool. Don't worry about it. When we talked about the phage episode, we ignored 15 to 20 minutes of the screen time because that shit was so terrible. And we still talked about it for an hour. Yeah. Kess in this whole thing. And let's take a step back. Kess is a character. She doesn't really piss me off. Like, uh, I thought I was going to harbor some pretty deep resentment of her and maybe things will change in season two. But I got to say, 90% of what I've seen out of her in season one, like she's a real, I don't know, in touch with your emotions. Let's talk about it. Squishy character. And it doesn't bother me. I, I, the, the, the actor holds down the fort, presents the material, and she does so in a way that doesn't really turn stomachs. I think they do a great job of using her, uh, particularly how they pair her with the doctor. Yeah. And I agree. I think Cass has been a real strong part of the show. I think she's, you know, she's obviously a bit of a Mary Sue with all of her like tremendous mental ability and that sort of thing. But this is Star Trek. You get a lot of that, you know, I mean, I'm used to that. So it doesn't bother me. Think what it is. She acts with conviction. She acts with that sort of conviction that comes with being, kind of naive yeah which is fitting with her character she literally was born yesterday that was the whole concept be an alien that was born yesterday but i mean the actress delivers lines with convictions that you know i think she she gets in the headspace correctly and, and it's true but now I, she has been convicted oh I nailed it. I'd high five. I'd ask for a high five right now if you were here. Would you give it to me? Would you give that to me? Uh, yeah. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. All right. That's, Thank uh, you. I appreciate um, it. But anyway, so so Kess coming in with the touchy feelings, doing so to the credit of the show. And, you know, it's something I think we're going to circle back around. Like everybody has really solid performances in this episode. It's just. I don't know. It's a shallow episode. This episode is horribly failed by its writers, not by its actors. Its actors did a great job. It's almost the reverse of what we've uh, we've seen in the past. I have no complaints about any of the performances. I have a huge gripe I'm going to get to about the writing. So Jatrell also, I appreciate the direction that uh, they bring the character in. Because you're trying to establish motivation for this guy, and he flat out states, "Like I feel bad about what happened, but I don't. I have remorse, but I don't have regret." I do not regret it. I did what had to be done. Really, it was necessary to vaporize more than a quarter of a million people and to leave thousands of others to be eaten away by metrion poisoning. Would it make any difference if I told you we never thought there would be any radiation poisoning? that anyone close enough to be exposed would be killed by the initial blast. It was unfortunate we were wrong. Unfortunate? He takes on, from the beginning, the the position that Oppenheimer also took uh, in regards to, we never wanted, you know, hundreds of thousands of people to die from his invention, but his point is, if he didn't invent it, someone else was going to. I mean, there was no way to stop the progress that was happening. And... 
you know, part of what they were uncovering was how, you know, the universe worked. And it's the quote I, I think that I liked that they used was it's good to know how the universe works. You know, that's part of what scientists do. And, you know, ultimately it's it's the military that made this decision and nothing I was going to say was going to get them to stop to, uh, from doing it once they they came dedicated to using this as a weapon and um the position he takes is not necessarily one of like personal anguished uh regret it's more of miffed that his scientific legacy is going to be one of that everyone thinks he's a monster when that isn't what his motivation was um you, you know he speaks about how his family left him and uh, you know that uh they took the kids and you know he's He's since then gone on this quest to to use his scientific principles to try and undo some of the damage that his invention has done. So let's show where the character diverts off uh, Oppenheimer, and and we're gonna I'm gonna peel back some of the later developments that you know would come towards the end of the episode. Jatrell's establishing like I'm not pursuing research into saving Talaxians out of guilt so much as continued science and later in the episode it's uh it uh, you know comes to light that he actually has this blood plague himself um because of his i don't know if it was his work developing it or if he actually visited the planet and spent the you know extended amounts of time and and picked this up but he's sick he's got a very short amount of time to live i think this guy really does feel guilty as hell um, uh, it's revealed by the end. Like this is an act. Like he really does feel guilty. And this pursuit of guilt has basically ruined his life. Uh, his involvement in this Talaxian colony trying to basically undo his work has had him branded a, uh, what the hell uh, is a sympathizer, a Talaxian sympathizer. Yeah. A Talaxian sympathizer. Uh, so his, Wife and kids think that he's a monster for developing a weapon of mass destruction. The government and the people have condemned him to be a sympathizer and and basically shunned him out. So this guy is all alone and for the fruits of his labors, you know, he's been rewarded with uh, a blood cancer. Towards the end, you'll see the guy's really desperately unhinged. But before we get that far... The, the plot continues in that Jatrell wants to use uh, Voyager's uh, transporter system uh, in order to beam isotopes from the cloud that's around the colony. And they, he, he sells this to Janeway with the intention of curing Snarf Snarf's blood cancer if he can do this. And Janeway's 100% for it, doesn't question his motives, even when he almost passes out in his office, in her office. And they roll there. Uh, to do this along the way you've got neelix letting out some of his dark history too this is what i started to hate the episode a little bit i guess i didn't hate it overall but this is where i really like went from oh wow this is things fall apart yeah so this whole parallel that they've just decided to go whole hog on what they they fucked up is explaining the context of the conflict they're obviously comparing this to the use of atomic weapons in World War II. And there's a very specific context as to the ongoing and forever debated if it was justified or not based on the, on what was happening within that conflict. They never give you any of that context of what this conflict was like between these two people. 
right? So you're left with unanswered questions as to what they were fighting over and if the use of this weapon could in any way, shape, or form have been justified or not. I guess the assumption you're supposed to make is that it just simply wasn't. And to give... Uh, Neelix additional conflict in the episode or, or some sense of, of having wronged or done something incorrectly that they, they saddle him with this backstory that he was essentially a deserter. He was a wall from the general draft of Talaxians to fight the Harkonnens. And he says it was for philosophical reasons, but you don't know what they were. And then he cops to the fact that he was just a coward as if this somehow makes him in any way culpable for what Jatrell or the Hakonians did uh, in in destroying his home and killing his family. And just made yeah. no fucking sense. And they even have this scene where Kess is playing ship's counselor with him. You know, uh, Neelix is having sweaty nightmares and he lays it out, you know, on the table that I, I had shirked my draft. I was hiding uh, I told myself that, you know, like you said, it was uh, I was a, a, you know, objector to the reasons of the war. And uh, and then Kess is like, oh, so maybe you're mad at Jatrell because you're mad at yourself. She's trying to start trying to draw these illusions. He's like, yes, that's absolutely it. I'm like, nothing anybody just said made any sense. And he's agreeing to it like, no, you should be mad at Jatrell because he killed 400,000 people and murdered your family. That's good enough. We don't need any kind of like psychological nuance to that. But I mean, even if they wanted to go the other route and explain like maybe the Talaxians were doing some bad shit and everyone was dirty and war is terrible. If they wanted to go down that road, they could have. But this is so stupid. Like, why are you giving Neelix this undercurrent that somehow, some way he's has personal ownership responsibility or or shouldn't be mad at this guy. Like, no, he's okay. He should be mad at this guy. Like this guy is someone to be mad at. This is, this is all right. So a real awkward scene there. They end up uh, in the colony, which is way the other direction from home. And they start using the transporter and you get a rehash of uh, any other time that uh, Voyager decides to beam shit from outside (laughs) four feet away from the super explosive. Captain, uh, Captain, I'm a rando war criminal who is responsible for the most heinous acts of scientific uh, atrocity ever. Could you do me a favor and beam some poison fucking gas into your super nerve center? <laughs> It'll I, be cool. I, I, saw this, I promise. I saw this and all I could think of is like a Peter's going to be so fucking turnt over the fact that they're beaming shit in right next to the fucking warp core again. Not shit. It's not even like, hey, here's some rando proto-molecules or whatever from uh, the holodeck episode. It's like, this is poison gas. And if this thing, if you have, oh, the confinement beam wasn't tight enough and this thing's not going to fly off and go haunt the holodeck, it's going to give everybody in your engineering section blood cancer. Do this in a cargo bay. Just... (laughs) <laughs> Jatrell asked Bolana, like, are you sure you want to do this this way? And she's like, no, nah, we do this all the time. It works great. We work for pros. Like, fuck you, you're pros. It works 75% of the time. It's cool. <laughs> A couple episodes ago, you're fucking this up. Cost the souls of three of your, of your, uh, your crewmates, <laughs> you know, mm. like Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they do another, you know, 
ridiculous beaming of space poison and uh off Jatro goes to start experimenting on it in in sick bay and uh the doctor rolls up on him and starts you know asking to help and this and that Jatrell who had witnessed uh in an earlier scene how to turn the doctor off turns the doctor off and uh they start playing the something is sinister music uh, that maybe Jatrell is not there for the honest intentions that he has uh, laid out initially. And uh, Snarf Snarf shows up, uh, sees some weird Cronenberg shit in the capsule uh, that Jatrell's been experimenting on. So this shit in the capsule, it looks like um, a living booger. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like one of those, like... <laughs> When you're in a real dry climate and there's like some blood in there and it gets kind of crusty, but it's still gooey. <laughs> yeah, all right. Way up in the back, yeah. I was going to go with like think, tree sap, but sure. Okay. Well, it's definitely more crusty booger and it's pulsing. He, Neelix rolls into uh, sickbay because he's just had this enlightening, uh, soul-relieving conversation with Kess where she basically <laughs> laid out the most cockamamie line of reasoning ever and, and he jumped on but you know the 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 tldr there is that uh neelix is gonna go basically tell this jatrell guy that he's not as mad as he had made it to be earlier uh he walks up behind jatrell sees this pulsing booger and is like what are you doing and jatrell turns around like jumps startled like jumps a foot near is like oh gosh you startled me neelix gets a little closer and the Scientists who've been pouring over the space booger like puts him in a headlock and pops him with a hypo spray that he was just happened to be <laughs> holding full of some knockout juice <laughs> and knocks snarf snarf down. So I, I'm led to believe now that uh, this doctor just always has basically a chloroform. <laughs> he's ready. He's ready. He's ready to hit the club. You know, <laughs> just, in, just in case he runs into some ladies who. Need a I'm going to tell you who this guy needs to run into. Uh, him and that Kmart Klingon with the, uh, with the poison <laughs> the toxin, Yeah, boom. These are the two most dangerous men of the Delta Quadrant. You do not want Jatrell or Rando sub-lieutenant at your party or there will be problems. Yes, they're, they're, their faces are above the bar. <laughs> they got these guys clocked cold. The bouncers yeah. are taking him, them the fuck out. They've, they've had problems. Um, the, the, the party, so, the party reconvenes in transporter, uh, because that's where Jatrell ends up going. And mm -hmm. this is where it all gets played out. What Jatrell is up to is he's not trying to cure the well, blood cancer. Before you even get into that, uh, somehow, oh, uh, Janeway goes for a status report. She doesn't get Jatrell. And then she turns the doctor back on. The doctor's like, yeah, Jatrell, turn me off. And oh, look, here's Neelix probably dead on the ground. Uh, and they're like, oh, gosh, there might be a problem. So they send a security team down and, and Janeway goes with them. And they confront Jatrell in the transport room at Phaser Point. And I don't even know if Phaser's even out at this point. But Janeway's line is like, uh, you're beginning to lose credibility. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you just found Snarf Snarf knocked the fuck out on the ground <laughs> from the mass murder who's beaming poison onto your ship. Like, Janeway, I think we're a little past losing credibility here. The scheme that Jatrell has worked out is that everyone that was killed by the super nuke was essentially 
deaminatized. They were just disintegrated. But they're, they're, all of their molecules are still floating around. And what Chitrell wants to do, I thought this was actually a coherent idea in terms of how the technology works, is he wants to use the transporter to gather the molecules of someone he's identified using DNA records and essentially reconstitute them by putting their shit back together using the transporter technology. And that kind of makes sense. Like, well, that's what the transporter does. It takes molecules, disassembles them, and then reassembles them someplace else. So if there's a bunch of disassembled molecules floating around and we know what ones we're looking for, we can just get them, put them in the trans uh, the transporter beam, and rematerialize them. Basically, it is Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen. Yes. That whatever this nuke was, it, I mean, we're not dealing with a real nuke. It was something that happened with such quick intensity that all of these people were disassembled. And, and just like Dr. Manhattan, you can just put them all back together, presumably not glowing blue, presumably not with dongs out. That's true. And uh, uh, of course, Jatrell mentions that you know, Snarf Starfish never really had blood cancer. This was all a ruse because somehow he knew that Janeway was an accomplished scientist. So she would buy into a scientific reason why he was there. So I guess that's just some shit that got out about Janeway. He ultimately imp- impresses upon them the uh, wanting to try and do this because he is now being forthright in that he is sorry about what happened. And there's nothing he can do except to try and make it right. And this is his one shot at making it work before he dies. So please, pretty yeah. please, with sugar on top, will you please try and do this? This is where everything really fell. Eh, I don't know. This, this is where my biggest grievances in the episode go. This guy has the most purest of intentions, right? The, this isn't something as, as narrow in scope as I want to cure some hundred odd people who have, I don't know, maybe a couple thousand people who have blood cancer. It's, I have a way potentially to undo the weapon of mass destruction that I destroyed an entire planet with. Now, they present this guy in a light that he is essentially crazy and that there is no way in hell this is going to work and that this is someone who is so guilt riddled that they are attempting to hang on to even the most thinnest threads of hope. But, you know, he he comes on to Voyager, again, with the intention of saving an entire planet. And, and instead of just going, hey, you know, you guys have a real good rep, uh, reputation. And um, now that I've got you Neelix alone in a room, what if I told you I could undo all of the death, you know, that whole story you told me about your family being vaporized and, and all this bad stuff. We can undo all of this with this amazing Federation technology. Please, you know, let's put this entire ship's worth of uh, assets behind my plan and make it work. And said, you know, the, the guy's basically trying to hijack the fucking ship and and create as much ill will as possible There's until a- he's finally cornered and, and has to, you know, roll out the plan. There was no reason for him to lie. None. You just said it all. He could have just come up with – he could have just been 100% honest with his plan from the beginning and, and there was no, zero reason for him to invent this cover story. Yeah, he could have been like, hey, you know, uh, as it turns out, I know the most about this weapon of mass destruction that killed everybody because, you know, I designed it and it just so happens I have a really uh, good way to maybe undo all that. So uh, what's even more – 
hard to swallow than that is the hesitation that Tuvok and Janeway have in refusing to even try up front. It takes like Neelix groveling and and this other guy like Jatrell literally on his hands and knees like, please just 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 try. And they put the most half-ass effort into indulging this guy possible. They give him all of 30 seconds worth of cooperation. And they start beaming this stuff off the planet and trying to reconstitute some DNA. And it doesn't work. You know, they're, they're, they're 15 seconds of effort. The guy fizzles. And they're like, oh, well, you know, it's just too crazy to work. And it's like, you guys just put minimal effort in. And you almost got it. You can see the guy. He's like seeing his hands like he's clearly like starting to become coherent, like which is horrifying if you think about it, you know, that these people are still like mm-hmm. their molecules are out there. And if we just found a way to reassemble them, they would just be people again. Like, whoa, <laughs> that that's dark. But yeah, like the, he has no reason to lie. And it, I know that it's just wrap it up, Charlie. Like, OK, we're at the end of the episode. Fucking wrap it up. Like, OK, it doesn't work. We all move on. Um, but it's just mm-hmm. handled so poorly that you're just like, why did you lie? Okay. And then like, that almost worked, you know, give it I, another try. And that's, that's the problem though. Like it almost, you have people who have just pulled the most amazing scientific breakthroughs out of their, and again, it, well, let's tie back into the post scarcity society of the Federation and, and nobody's really working on hard stuff because they don't have to. And that's why Voyager accomplishes such great things is because it's a life and death situations. But like, Go get the fucking doctor who can bring people back to life from the dead. Go get, you know, uh, Balana who has pulled one amazing accomplishment after another out of her ass. Get more than two people standing around in a transporter room and put some real effort into this because the guy almost just pulled it off. If you wanted it ultimately to be a flub and just a, a, an act of desperation from a crazy old man who's dying a painful death – have nothing happen at all and have it be such a clear failure that it's unavoidable. But if you're Neelix and you see like, Jesus, we almost just did it. Like, could you, could you, you know, take a month out of your drive home? You know, you, you guys divert for every other little fucking stupid thing. And maybe we could put like two weeks into trying to do this. You're thing. precisely right. That's all. This is, this is why I say like, now that we're at the end of the episode, let me reveal my, my feelings. Um, this is probably the best acted, worst written episode we've seen, and I ended up infuriated by that. Like it, they wasted amazing performances that they got out of people by having an episode that made so little sense. Everything that the kind of the right turn they took with Neelix near the, you know, around the two thirds point, and assigning all this personal guilt that he has over the situation, even though it makes no sense in context for the rest of the episode, um, and. This ending where we have this conflict where this guy lied for no reason and he almost pulled off what he wanted to pull off and they don't really even try it again. And then they have the the, the button on the episode where he he dies and, and he was like, oh, I forgive you. And that's it. Uh, there's no resolution of of any of the stuff Neelix went through. Uh, like he doesn't come to terms with anything with what he did aside from having witnessed him, you know be remorseful like there's no acknowledgement of it in the scene it's just kind of like all right we're done in fact he says i forgive you and jatrell on his deathbed like raises his hand and goes to say something and such just like dies and it's like even more reinforcing the episode that's just like a dry hump and a pointless 
tease of of something that could have been it's, more. It, I know again, you're not a DS9 guy, but my I would say among my top five favorite episodes of Star Trek period is an episode from DS9, I think it's the first season called Duet. And it's an episode that's all about Kira confronting a Cardassian that she believes is a notorious war criminal. And this feels like a shit version of that episode. Like they were going for the same kind of feel and beats of, of this conflict between Neelix and Jatrell as the core. And instead of going whole hog on that personal journey, they just have these diversions that end up making no sense whatsoever. And it's unfortunate because they got grade a guest actor and they got good performances out of everybody that was featured on the show. And then the writing just failed them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I would say all things considered at the end, I'll count it as a good episode because it was enjoyable to watch. It just, it, it was, it came off shallow. It, disappointing. And, uh, it, it, it had so much yeah. potential. Um, when it started, I was ham handed. I mean, it was not subtle at all, but at least it was compelling, very compelling to start. Yeah. And, and then just kind of just, just like, uh, you know, like a couple, we've had a couple episodes like this. It just fucking shits all over itself, you know, as it, as it, as it goes into its third act, they just don't know how to finish on Voyager. I think the, the only episode I felt like finished strong was Eye of the Needle. They waited until the end to hit you with the hammer. And that was well well paced. Yeah. This now it just falls apart and it just kinda ends. And soon our journey through Voyager will also like our season one Voyager, it's gonna end in a similar fashion, uh, with our next episode. Um uh, And what is so that? uh we are going to be watching Learning Curve is the next episode. Uh the uh the blurb on that is well if Voyager's mixed Starfleet Maquis crew seems to be working out. A few rogue Maquis are fighting the integration. So this is... That sounds like a very solid premise for a show that uh, prominently features terrorists mixed in with goody two-shoes. It's, uh, it's an episode that I recall quite well because I couldn't believe like that's where they left the season. Is, are, we, are we about to hit uh, season Yeah, that's finale, the season then? finale. The next episode is season finale. First uh, season of Voyager only has 15 episodes. Wow. Well, 16 yeah, right. if you count the, the two-parter. But hmm. Well, uh, let's go ahead and close this one out. I'm going to give you the rule of acquisition number 74 in honor of the late Jatrell and his uh, science overall. Knowledge equals profit. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, it's... I just I'm all I'm all bent out of shape now. Couldn't in, I, I I I feel like whenever I see something wasted like that, just chaps my. I did like I did like the Detrell's portrayal of of the consummate scientist, and even at the end with all the guilt and everything else, like the dude sticks to his morals, and he really holds up that that cold clinical scientific facade well, but. All right. It's thank you again for joining Vija. Please, this is a 
Hateful Voyage Through the Delta Quadrant. We are on Facebook. We are on Twitter. Uh, we are everywhere fine podcasts can be downloaded. We have the Vigor Please Trauma Support Group. Please join. That's where we do a lot of discussion. If you are kind enough, we would love it if you were to like us on Facebook, if you were to share podcast posts, give us a review on iTunes or on Facebook. Anything to help visibility of the cast, we appreciate it because it draws more people in to join in the suffering. And nothing brings people together like shared suffering, my friends. I'm Joseph. I'm Peter. And we'll see you for the season finale of Star Trek Voyager next week. Peace. Peace.